So I started yesterday's show by saying it was down to just the Pirates and Rockies for teams who haven't signed a major league free agent. And what do the Pirates do? They sign two guys to minor league contracts, but we'll, we'll have a very good shot of making it. We'll put an asterisk next to it. We'll put an asterisk next to that one. Good morning. This is Alex Stumpf filling in for Dayon Kovacevic, and you are listening to Daily Shot. A half-hour look at what's going on with the Pirates comes out every weekday yeah, way way too early in the morning for me to wake up I, I might actually still be up by the time this drops I'm definitely a night owl the Pirates signed two players two veterans to minor league contracts Thursday outfielder Brian Goodwin and catcher Tony Walters of the two Goodwin Looks like a pretty safe bet to make the roster. I talked about on the Pirates podcast on Tuesday, on the podcast to be named later, my Pirates podcast, about how it's, you know, unless they sign someone, Alfred versus Oliva, I think we could safely put Oliva into that going into AAA category. He could still tear it up in spring training and maybe he could earn a spot. But it really does look like the outfield will consist of Brian Reynolds, Gregory Polanco, Anthony Alford, because he's out of options, and Brian Goodwin. Catching is a little more complicated. Pirates have two on the roster right now. Jacob Stallings, who last year was the team MVP, who there were a lot of questions about if Jacob Stallings could actually be an everyday regular this time of year, last year. And yeah, we could make the argument that it was only a 60-game season. But you know what? In that 60 games, he played 42 of them. Nobody caught more innings of baseball last year than Jacob Stallings. He still hasn't caught 700 in a season. And I put that in my 10 thoughts, and it's one that... Maybe I should have saved that instead of making it a thought and just made it its own story because it's definitely worth repeating. 700 innings, that's about half a season for a catcher, over 162. He's played. He hasn't done that at any level in the system. And part of that was he was never really the big, sexy prospect in the Pirates Farm system. For catching. That that was Elias Diaz. He was the guy who was cracking top 10 lists. He was the guy who was looking like, you know, he could be something. And for a while, for a brief second, that 2018 season, Elias, whenever he hit, he looked like the guy going forward. And you know what happened? He had a bad 2019. Jacob Stallings took advantage of the opportunity. All the pitchers love throwing to him. He reinvented himself defensively. He became one of the best pitch framers in the game, which profiled very well with him. You know, he's good at throwing out base runners. He's good at blocking pitches. He's great at calling a game. Just ask Stephen Brault. He just turned off his brain those last two starts and pitched two gems, just threw whatever Jacob Stallings threw down. There isn't a question. In 2021, if Jacob Stallings is the catcher for this organization, because he is. We could talk long-term, how he probably isn't, and that's fair. There's Rodriguez, 
that they got from the Mets in the Joe Musgrove trade. He's a couple years away. Down the stretch, though, that's a down the stretch thing. Short term, with these young pitchers that are going to be coming up, you want Jacob Stallings on the team. You want him to be there to shepherd them. After that, it's a good question. There's Michael Perez, who was claimed off of waivers by the parts back in October, right after the Rays finished their blowing of the World Series. They immediately grabbed a backup catcher from them. And now you have Walters. And you have to figure one of the two of them, those are the two that are going to be in competition for the backup spot. The same way that Brian Goodwin was brought in on a minor league deal, but that's more of a technicality. It really does look like he's going to be a major league regular. You know, just earn your spot this way. You don't have to wave, you know, a a Sean Poppet or a Carson Fulmer on the 40-man roster. You could keep the full 40-man going at the time. There's really no disadvantage if you know if you have an understanding with Brian Goodwin and be like, look, you're probably going to make the team. This is just solely for our competitive advantage for our, from our roster. Walters, maybe not as guaranteed, but if his only backup or his only competition is Perez, you got to think he's got a good shot. And not saying that Walters has been a great catcher. He had a really good 2016. You know, come up to the majors, really showed the glove. Wasn't much of a hitter, but you know what? The defense was good enough. He played about half a season. Was He was worth two war. He's been basically sub-replacement level ever since, though. And last couple years, I don't know what has happened with his framing. I haven't had a chance really to dive in yet, but that's telling how he was one for being one of the better pitch framers his first three years in the majors to he's cost his pitchers 10 runs the last two years. That's not good. That's the type of stuff that will, will cost you a roster spot to Michael Perez. But right now though, and with just the concerns with Jacob Stallings, you know, Actually playing a full, full season, not last year full, a full 162, something that he's never done at at any level. Not really Jacob's fault, but it's the reality, and it's a shame for him that he has that, that label still. Last year was supposed to be the year where he became an everyday starter, and he ended up playing roughly about as much as a backup would over 162. You know, you play one out of every four games. That's not too outrageous for a backup catcher. Perez has options, minor league options. Walters technically has a minor league option, but with the way contracts work, or the MLB contract works, once you hit five years of service time, you can refuse an an assignment. And Walters is at 4.161 years of service time. So after 11 days, 11 days, he can no longer be optioned. So if the Pirates so chose, if they like the guy, but he loses the roster spot, they could technically add him to the roster and then immediately option him to Indianapolis to start the year. But that would be basically the only other way. It's basically a scenario where they have to look really hard at Perez First, look really hard at Stallings and feel confident that he could go, you know, a, a full season. He could basically almost double 
the workload that he did last year. More than double. I'm sorry, because double would be going from 42 games to 84 games. No, he needs to do more than that. And you know what? There's no guarantee in that. Catcher's weird. You catch a foul ball the wrong place, you're on the IL for 10 days. No fault of the catcher. Not any question of like of toughness or anything. Very few teams are able to go with just two the entire year. So which way do the Pirates want to go here? Do they want to have a guy on the 40-man roster waiting at AAA, waiting for a shot in Perez? Or do they want to not keep Walters? And would, would they rather that extra guy be an Andrew Susak type? And I'll tell you, Andrew Susak is not, not a sexy player. But you know who likes Andrew Susak? The people that he caught in Altoona last year. There is a reason why the Pirates made it out. They made it clear that they were rewarding him that last game of the season, whatever they added him to the roster. They wanted to show, they wanted to do right by the player because he did a good amount of work. It was grinding work. It was part of the taxi squad, working with those pitchers, working with the pitchers at Altuda. Nothing about what he did last year was sexy, and they rewarded him with one day in the major leagues again. Do they feel more confident that that, with that? And some of these questions we cannot answer on February 11th, February 12th. Yeah, these are going to be whenever those pitchers and catchers start to report, whenever you have those workouts. For now, though, I think you kind of need to have that third catcher on the 40-man, which would mean adding Walters. Just because there are so many questions of depth. And Perez just isn't as, if, if the Pirates feel they can get Walters to go back to his defensive prime, then they've got a really good tandem with Jacob Stallings. And it's clear, this is what the organization values out of catching. They want their catching to do first, to be first and foremost, a way to make the pitching better. Offense is secondary. It's let's get the best out of their pitching with the catching. Use one position to make another position better. Nothing wrong with that strategy. It's a good strategy. Baseball men for generations upon generations have used it. But if it's just those two, it's it's actually a quartet of people. And yeah, I guess we'll throw Joe Hudson in the mix. He also signed a minor league deal, but I, I really don't see that clear path for Joe Hudson unless the Pirates go with the, you know, we're going with Walters and they go with Stallings and Perez, and they're looking for someone to stash at AAA, then maybe it could be Joe Hudson if Andrew Susak's like, you know what? No, I'm good. There always needs to be that veteran type in AAA. So which would you rather it be? Would you rather it be Susak, or would you rather it be the guy on the 40-man roster? I would say the later. The latter. I'm sorry. The latter would be the better, would be the better choice of the two. We're going to take a break. Whenever we come back, just one question. And welcome back to Daily Shot. My name is Alex Stumpf. I'm filling in for Dan Kovacevic this morning. The second segment of this show is brought to you by our friends at Mike's Beer Bar. Located right across the street from PNC Park on Federal Street. They have a selection of 500 different beers to choose from. 50 of them local and on tap. Really good food. And you know what? I, 
I just went for lunch on Thursday. My buddy, he just moved back to Pittsburgh. He was excited. He wanted, he tried, oh man, I should have had it. It's, it's a cider mead, it's a cider mead, blackberry. I should have had it right in front of me, but I got the play-by-play whenever he was drinking that last time. And you know what? That was quite entertaining. And he left with three of those. Buy three, get three right now. So share it with a buddy. Our one question today comes from Jar, who who brought up how brought up my talk yesterday about the 2010 team and letting the kids play. And he asks, Alex, what young arms excited you in 2010, or even hindsight, which ones were even successful immediately after for the Buccos? For the 2010 core you mentioned, are you talking about Kutch, El Toro, and Walker? Those arms were horrible that year, Sands, Evan, Meek. And just to be clear, yes, I was talking about the position player core. There was a very good position player core that was in that farm system or was in the major leagues at that point. It was Kutch, it was Pedro Alvarez, it was Neil Walker. Uh, Starling Marte was not that far behind and was already, you know, rising, skyrocketing up prospect lists. There were a lot of, Josh Harrison was in the system. Jordy Mercer was in the system. There were a lot of good players already in there, ready to go. It, but it's, I always remembered it being position player heavy. I'm not going to lie. I always remembered it being position player heavy. I didn't realize how unbelievably position player heavy it is. I'm going to let you in on a, a cheat on how to new feature on Baseball America. It's not a new feature, but I just figured out the nice, easy way to do it. If you go to their top 30 lists in the URL, near the end, it says year equals and if you click it now, 2021, you could take that and move it back to a different year, and they'll give you top 30s from other years. So I looked at the 2010 list. At the top five pitchers that the Pirates had, now this, <laughs> you just need to brace yourself for this one. It's, it's real bad. And I guess before I actually name these names, just as a chance of maybe repenting that in 2010, I was still in high school at the time. I was still in high school at the time. Most of these prospects were, you you would read Baseball Americas, in my point of view. You would read an article about a prospect every once in a while. But it's not like it is today, where you could get multiple top 30 lists at any given time. Baseball has done a much better job promoting that next wave of talent, building excitement for those. But back then, it wasn't as high excitement. Or maybe it was just the Pirates' top five guys that weren't particularly exciting. We'll start with the number one pitching prospect they had going into the 2010 season. So no Jamison Tyon yet, who's going to be drafted a couple months later. But at the time, the number one pitching prospect they had was Brad Lincoln. Do you remember actually being the hype? The hype that was around Brad Lincoln, if for no other reason, it might have just been Stockholm Syndrome at that point of just people like, oh, here's a guy who could actually throw baseballs. <laughs> That's someone to get excited about. Lincoln, he had a, a bit of time as a reliever whenever he was serviceable, but that's about it. And he was by far the best out of this bunch because next, he was fourth on the top 10 list, I guess I should say. The next three guys finished seventh, eighth, and ninth on the top 10 list. Tim Alderson never pitched in the major leagues. He was the guy they got for Freddie Sanchez. At the time, it looked like, you know, steady Freddie. 
was going to be a big part of that Giants team. They won a World Series with him. Alderson looked like a good return. Never pitched in the majors. Zach Vaughn Rosenberg never pitched above a ball. Never hit double lane. Never went to Altoona. Number nine, Rudy Owens. He pitched exactly one game in the major leagues. A spot start in 2014. And then 11th is Colton Kane. Again, never in the major leagues. Now, it does get a little better after that. Because, because it's hard to get worse where you have like a journeyman reliever and four guys who never reached the majors or pitched a combined one game in the majors. Next is Vic Black. And you know what? Vic Black, he was going to be the big deal. I'm not going to fault him. That was just injuries. If anything, the injuries were a product of him throwing the ball the wrong way. And you know what he did? He figured it out and he became a coach of the Pirates organization and he Vic Black would hate that I say this, but whenever Max Cranick gets up to the major leagues this year, you're going to have to, and he pitches well, if he pitches well, some of that credit's got to go to Vic. He would hate to know that it's part of that credit. He wants it all to be Max because Max actually did put in the work, but Vic Black was able to come up with the weighted ball drills. He was able to figure out how to rework Cranick's mechanics and Cranick, you know what? Not only did he get more velocity, his shoulder strength is built up, and he went from a guy who was often injured in A-ball to a prospect the Pirates didn't dare you know, risk losing to the Rule 5 draft. If you haven't read my story about that, it's still pinned on my Twitter. Check it out. It's one of my favorite ones I've written for this site. I'm not going to lie. That's one of my favorite ones I've written. After that, you got Jeff Locke. Technically was an all-star. Brian Morris, you know, he hung around for a couple of years. They got a first-round draft pick at a trade for him. Uh, Hunter Strickland, a little later on the list. Yeah, just a long list of guys. Daniel, oh my goodness, I just looked at this. Justin Wilson was also near the very bottom of it, but I just realized Daniel Moskos in 2010 was already the 30th-ranked prospect in the Pirates system. Wow. Wow, that was a that was a steep drop off. I don't know if anyone follows him, and I haven't seen him do any update. But he does work with Driveline now, and I don't know how much he was joking or anything. But he showed the weighted balls, and he's like, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna start throwing. So maybe maybe we'll see the Daniel Moscos comeback tour. How old is he now? You know, this is good fake radio. Whenever I, I start Googling Daniel Moscos to find out exactly how old he is. 34, not outside the realm of possibilities. If Stetson Alley is getting minor league contracts from the Rays at 29, despite never pitching in the majors. Yeah, that's Stetson Alley. Remember him? The guy who he, he hits, he hits 98, 99 on the gun. And he has absolutely zero idea where it's going. And he keeps getting invites to major league spring training. One of these days he's going to stick and he's going to pitch like two games in the major leagues. So we're going to be like, he actually did it. The madman actually did it. But to answer way, way going back here, Jar, you're right. That 2010 team was a position player core. They let the kids play, though. And that's that's the heart of the argument that I was that I was making. I'm sure that I actually got through. But just the heart of the argument. That team was bad in 2010, but they got better the next year because in large part because Neil Walker got some reps, Andrew McCutcheon got reps, Pedro Alvarez got reps, 
that season. It, it's just a long list. You're, you aren't going to get any better until the kids play. And yeah, we could look at someone like Brian Goodwin, who kind of flies in the face a tiny bit of that. Because you'd be like, well, it could be Anthony Alford. He was once a top prospect. You know, he was a waiver claim. Let's see what he could do. Or even the guy who's already, st- who's, who's still a prospect right now with Jared Oliver. Potentially taken at bats away from that, but <laughs> I like the Goodwin pickup. It's a very low risk. No, not a high reward, but he's a year removed from like a two war season. It's 17 home runs. Could be a little bit of a lefty bat. Who knows? I wouldn't give him the everyday job, you know, unless he really earns it. Or I guess better way of phrasing that would be if Jared Oliver and Anthony Alford do nothing to prove to take it away from him. I mean, he's 30. He's not going to be here forever. He, I, He's one of those guys, I'm sure, who realizes his, if he pitches well, he's got to, or plays well, he's going to be traded during the trade deadline like he was last offseason. And who knows? This way, he's not going to actually, you know, rob Carl Moran of home runs. I can't, I don't know why I remembered that. But whenever I saw that they signed Brian Goodwin, whenever I heard that, it's like, well, Colin's probably going to be happy that he's not going to get robbed at Cincinnati anymore. Because it's not going to be by Castellanos. Thank you for listening to Daily Shot of Pirates. My name is Alex Stone. Be sure to subscribe to our feed. Listen to all our podcasts. If you like me today, hey, tune in tomorrow. Jared Prugar and I have a, po- have a Pirates prospect show. We're going to start ranking some of the top guys in the farm system. Excited about that coming up. That's going to be some good talk for a couple of weeks. And, you know, Daily Shot, Chris Carter, Dale Lawley, Taylor Haas, Dave Molinari. There's a lot of good people on here. Be sure to subscribe. Don't just do it for me. Do it Do it for the group. It's a good group of people to listen to. Thank you for listening today. We'll see you tomorrow. Mm-hmm.